Hey everybody, you are listening to the Vocal Advancement Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Tom, and we are joined by Heather today. Shumai. Shumai to you too. <laughs> Where in the world are we today? Well, I'm being Welsh today. Ah, <laughs> very nice. I actually went to a, uh, a family party not that long ago. I say my, it's my husband's family, but they are Welsh. And uh, they started singing... Happy birthday. It was somebody's birthday. It was a 50th birthday party. They started singing happy birthday in Welsh. And I was like, oh, I, 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 was, I was quite baffled. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> it's the only time I've ever been unable to join in singing happy birthday at someone's party. I, I bet that was complicated to try. Well, should have said my eldest daughter was trying her best to join in. She's <laughs> <laughs> kind of making random sounds with her mouth. Yeah. Lots of hucks and shush. Yeah, lots of, there. yeah, all sorts. It was, it was very impressive. <laughs> it's a beautiful sounding language, but I just, I find my brain's just like, I can't make some of those noises. I mean, yeah, it's it's one of those languages. I mean, they're very, they're very fiercely defensive of their language mm. in Wales. They, they want to make sure that it it's, remains alive. You know, there's lots of schools that will only teach in Welsh and not English. And all of the schools have to learn Welsh, I think, regardless of whether you're English-speaking at home or not. Um, yeah, it's yeah. understandable, though. It's a very melodic language. I like that, to yes. think of it like that. There's a lot of singers in Wales. Mm, lots of good singers. Lots of good singers in Wales, yeah. Mm. There we go. <laughs> I know. <sighs> so how's things since your, our last episode? What's going on in Heather's world? Oh, goodness me, I am in the throes of the final module of my master's that I'm doing at the moment. Mm. So my life is consumed with statistical analysis, which is really not the sort of thing that I normally want to spend my spare time doing. Mm. But it's... That sounds... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Figuring out what a standard deviation is and and what what an ANOVA test is. All these fun terms... (laughs) Uh, yeah, I, I think I'll skip that. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things that is incredibly difficult to wrap your head around, but once you've got it, you feel quite proud of yourself for understanding just even the tiniest little thing. Um, so, yeah, that is my life at the moment, is whenever I'm not in work, I am working, working. on my research <laughs> instead. <laughs> exactly. That's it. My spare time is all about doing more work. I like to go and hang out in Costa for five hours flat. And <laughs> Caffeinate. <laughs> yes, that's it. Get a couple of coffees in me and just get on with it. Yeah. But not long to go, though. No, not long to go. I'm in, I'm in the, I can see the end. I can see the finishing line. And considering this has been a, like, practically a four-year journey, that's quite encouraging that I can see the finishing well, line that's now. That's good. That's good. That's and it. then it'll finish and you'll be like, Oh, what did I do with my time now? I know. There's already some people who are on the course with me who are looking into doing a PhD, and I'm like, oh, I don't think I could. I don't think I could cope. Oh, <laughs> that's, and that takes much longer, doesn't it? Well, that's a much longer journey, especially when you're trying to do it part time alongside a full time job. Yeah, that's a, a lot longer. Wow. Um, yeah. So yeah, good luck to them doing that. But that shall Indeed, be me. Yeah, that's C- quite certainly a, not quite undertaking. <laughs> maybe, maybe when I retire, I might look into doing a PhD. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine that. Like, because it, it's just—I mean, like, isn't the thesis you have to write like 
hundreds of thousands of words. Oh, or it's mega! It's mega! Yeah. Mm, it's yeah. Not for Tom. It's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a big undertaking. Yeah. Um, it's I, a big, I do. That's like a big book, like a very it long is. book. And a lot of people do go on to take their PhD research and turn it into some kind of a book afterwards. Because why wouldn't you? When you put all that work into it. Well, exactly. Might as well share it with the world. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's something that you you don't take on lightly. That's for sure. And what are you actually researching? I'm not sure we've talked about this before, have we? So my current research is all on gestures. And oh. maybe we should do another episode one day talking just about that. Because if I start on it now, I will go on for about three hours straight <laughs> and bore you all to death. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, looking into the effects of using gestures when you teach singing effectively is what oh, I'm researching at the moment. So um, it is interesting. And I now have statistical analysis that will back up what I want to say about it. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be good to have a chat about that because I think that I, I saw an interesting video about that the other day about um, using gestures to help you with clean runs. Uh-huh, yes. So, it, yeah. They can be used in so many different ways and for so many well, different reasons. That's definitely a video episode. So there we go. We'll we'll save that. We'll do a whole episode, and I can I can I can bore you with everything I know about that topic now. And you, I can give you gestures to. <laughs> to you can give me gestures, not rude ones. I hope, Tom. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> uh, but who have we got on today's episode, Tom? Well, we are having a chat today with Helen Woodley, who's mm -hmm. from the UK, and Helen's been doing research into dancers and singing. And this was really another really interesting conversation about the topic. It's a, it's a fascinating topic. Like We think singers have lots of strange quirks, mm -hmm. but dancers that have to sing or sing have just as many, Absolutely. And, and I mean, so, this yeah. is a, a topic close to your heart, isn't it, Tom? Because some people might not know this, but, but mm. you are a bit of a dancer yourself, aren't you, Tom? I do. I dance, darling. I do dance. Yes. I was, you, weren't, you weren't a ballerina, though, were you? No, 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 no. I was an oh. Irish dancer. So river dance, style dance. Mm -hmm. But I did that because I was too scared to sing. I didn't think I could sing, so I danced instead. So I fit very nicely into the topic of today's conversation mm -hmm. on the podcast. Like, could be a case study for her <laughs> research. <laughs> you totally could. That's I could. I love yeah. it. But so, it was, so it, was, it was very interesting. Even not even if you aren't a dancer with that kind of background, it's still really interesting, especially well, if you work. Well, with it people. is because, as I said in the interview here, we talked about. You know, I have had dancers in for lessons before, mm -hmm. and they are a different breed of voice student and uh, Helen has some really fascinating insights as to why that might be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's go let's go listen to what Helen has to say. Helen, welcome to our podcast and thank you for joining us today and we're really looking forward to getting to know a bit more about your topic but I want to kind of genuinely give you a nice easy question to get started. Okay. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the world of singing or how you got started on your singing journey. Ah, well it was about three million years ago, well that's how <laughs> far long ago it seems. I started off um, as quite a few people do at the local dance school 
and um, this is when I the, the way I actually found out I could sing was that when I was 11 I was given a song and dance for a festival piece and I went in and sang and my dance teacher just sat there with her mouth open and was like I didn't know you could sing I was like can I sing there you go um, and then at 16, I went to Lane Theatre Arts and trained on the musical theatre course. And that's when I had my first singing lessons. So I am pretty much the demographic that I teach. People that, who want to go to a vocational college but have had no singing training. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that hit you then when you did go to Lane and suddenly you were having to do... Regular singing training, I, having I only kind honest, of danced. I absolutely, I loved it. I absolutely mm. loved it because the big shock for me when I got there was finding out that, that my dancing wasn't as good as it had seemed to be. Um, it became very quick, um, obvious very quickly that they'd taken me as a singer, not as a dancer, which was just bizarre. <laughs> because, but you know that you know you just kind of think, okay, I've been gone. I'm going for this, and then. They didn't help, they'd made a mistake and actually put me on the dancer's course. I was on dancer, the dancer's course for two weeks before they put me onto the musical theatre course, which added to my trauma. But um, once I was on the musical theatre course, I was happy, I, you know, and I think pretty much the people that were on the musical theatre course wanted to be on it. It's the people generally, because back in those days, you were either musical theatre or you were dance. And those that did dance didn't really sing. Whereas now, everybody does everything to varying degrees. And I think that's probably the difference. That you, if those who didn't want to sing could probably get away with it all those years ago. But now they can't. So why do you think that's changed? I, th I think it's an industry need, to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, it was great for me when, when I went out into the big wide world to um, work. Because what happened back then was we had all our dance classes and then... So we had the same dance classes everybody else had, and then we would be there till eight o'clock at night doing singing and drama on top mm -hmm. of everything else. So it meant that when I went out into the big wide world, um, I knew if I got through, if if I was going for a singing job, where because I was always a singer dancer or a dancer singer, um, I knew that if I got through the dance round, I was fine. Um, and I also kind of knew that if I got through the singing round, I was fine. If they were looking for a singer who could dance. Right. And back in those days, Lane was pretty much the only place that taught their dance, their singers to dance. Wow. So it was brilliant for me. Um, but now, of course, the business, you need to be triple threat. If it, well, You don't need to be, but if you want to maximise your earning potential and your longevity you need to be able to do all three yeah I mean I guess if you're just training to be a dancer and you don't learn all those other things you're you are quite limited to what, yeah I mean I if mean, you're gonna go to the royal ballet really? yeah if you want to go to the you know you're at the royal ballet or you do just want to do something like contemporary or you know people that do commercial and stuff don't necessarily need mm -hmm. to be able to sing but a lot of these kids are going on musical theatre courses and not wanting to sing. And to me, it's not musical theatre if you don't sing. The same as it's not musical theatre if you don't dance. The same as it's not musical theatre if you don't act. That's the way I look at it. That is kind of strange, is it? Going on a musical theatre course and not singing then. Like, I, I know, I know. Like better just doing an acting course. <laughs> I know. I think with a lot of them, in fairness, they're, they're down as musical theatre, but it's musical theatre with dance. So you will get the people... 
that want to predominantly dance. Um, but it does still limit what, what they can do. You know, you go and work on a cruise ship, you're probably going to need to be able to sing with the chorus. If you want to mm. go into the West End, whether you want to be, you know, in the chorus or not, you've at least got to be able to hold a tune. You know, you may not be playing the lead in that, but, you know, you need to be able to hold a tune to be in the chorus, so... So then, a lot of your work is with those younger singers that are looking to go into that mm-hmm. sort of training, and they do come from a dance background. Mm-hmm. So what sort of challenges do you meet with them when you kind of suggest to them that they might have to be also a singer? Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> it, it often depends how old they are and how long they've been dancing. I went through a period when, because I, before I, during COVID I came back, but I lived in Italy for six, uh, for 15 years. And um, I worked at a brilliant school there and we had a lot of kids that came over to the UK and auditioned and got into vocational schools. Um, but they'd come to me at 15, never having sung. And what I always say to teachers is we need to get them to sing sooner because you get them to 15, they dance at a really high level and then you're basically asking them to sing and they sing like they're at a you know preparatory grade that's their, what that's what they think okay i'm a brilliant singer a brilliant dancer i can't sing because they haven't had any training and you're mm. expecting them to go to an audition with no training i mean i got quite good at getting them to fake their way through a song or two you know but <laughs> but there's only so much i mean my i would say the shortest i've had was 2 weeks you know this person is and i had to teach him to sing in english as well so wow and wow. they had to do a monologue i got very i got quite good at that <laughs> <laughs> i used to write everything for them as if it was in italian so you know for them so they could get the pronunciation <laughs> it's one of my it's one of my strange skills <laughs> So if I was going to write what, I would write U-O-T, you know, because that's how they'd say it, what. So that's what I'd do. But, and then when I did some of my research, I was looking into how these kids could do better once they go to college. And the main thing that came up from students, ex-students, was that they wished they'd been prepared more. I now get them, when I came back here, I had um, one boy came to me at the age of 12, I can't sing. They always say that, I can't sing, and I'm like, yeah, right, sure, you can't. Um, and within two weeks, I had him singing, and everybody thinks I'm amazing. I'm not, I just tell them they can do it. It's as simple as that. They just have to believe they can do it. I mean, there is obviously, you need to manage their expectations, especially at the beginning, but, you know, they're telling me they can't do anything. It's like, well, you've just sung that in tune. What, what's, what's the issue? Yeah, but it wasn't very loud. Yeah, but we can do that. You know, when you first did dance, could you do a Grant Batman with your leg up there? No, you couldn't. And it's like everything else, you've got to work with it. So a lot of it is just telling them that they can. So why do you think they have decided that they can't already? Oh, there's so many, so many reasons behind that, as I discovered. Um, You get the whole, like I was saying about the comparisons, so that's dimensional comparison, and people will often do that. There is a higher, statistically, I've actually checked this one, there is a higher incidence of perfectionism amongst dancers. That's my big thing at the moment, perfectionism. I'm a perfectionist. Um, Maladaptive perfectionism. So 
there are lots of things that go with that as well. So they, so they compare it to their dance, so they can't do that. There's the whole um, atmosphere of dance as well, isn't there? That it's very much, on the whole, not, ever, not everywhere, but there's a lot of talent versus effort. You know, if you're a great dancer, you get, you get all the, what's the word, plaudits, I guess it is, isn't it? You know, all the praise and everything. Um, and so if, when they come and they can't sing, can't sing, they can't see the point of the effort. There's also the thing of it's not dance, so why would I bother? Um, they don't, so they don't value singing. Um, and and motive, you know, the whole motivational thing, setting goals. It's 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 all so closely interwoven, and this whole identity. I am a dancer. You know, we all do it. I'm a dancer. But the strange thing is, you'll get somebody like me. Um, and although I would consider myself more of a singer, psychologically, I'm more of a dancer because that's what I did for the first... Well, I started dancing when I was three. So until I had 13 years of really only being a dancer. And I know people that... that, that and we're in this strange world. It's great when you want to do something like I do because you understand the psyche behind it. But yeah. if I'm in a group of singers, I'm the dancer. And if I'm in a group of dancers, I'm the singer. So it's, and it's all a bit, but a lot of it <laughs> does come down to those maladaptive perfectionist traits I've discovered. So um, talk to us a little bit about that then. So when you say maladaptive perfectionism what what is the difference between that and any other type of perfectionism well this is it because you i'm fairly sure that if someone says to you you're a perfectionist you you think oh that's bad a lot of people think oh yeah that's bad i don't know i'd i'd, I'd take it as a compliment that think that i'm doing I'm no they don't see heather <laughs> you do i asked a group of dancers six dance students is perfectionism good or bad and they all went bad Okay, interesting. <laughs> so there we go. You see, we've already got that. And there is good and bad. Well, there's two schools of thought here. There is the school of thought that there's good and bad perfectionism, which is adaptive and maladaptive. So that basically means you are a perfectionist in the sense that you strive to do things really well. Mm-hmm. Or there is the maladaptive perfectionism, that's me by the way, where you get really caught up in things. You know, you set yourselves these really high standards and the thing is you never reach them because when you do reach them, you think, well, that can't have been any good. It can't have been high enough. So you keep setting more and more high standards. And then, of course, there are the avoidant behaviours because what unfortunately often, when you're talking maladaptive perfectionism, are all these little things that you do to get out of doing things like avoidance, um, I'm always at the last minute because I will spend four months obsessing over one little thing. And that is because it lets me avoid doing what I actually should be doing. Yeah, I'm really... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was loving I think we're kindred know, spirits in that. <laughs> I, I, managed to do a, I managed to do a lit review last weekend, which I've been trying to do for three months. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. <laughs> Avoiding situations. Um this is ultimately what cost me my performing career because I couldn't deal with the 
because I was so so sure that I was going to go into an audition and mess up that I just in the end just stopped avoiding auditions and it's very very common that kind of thing Hmm. and it can lead to bigger they can lead to bigger problems like anxiety depression um you know eating disorders all that kind of thing I've just realised I've gone off on a tangent, really, haven't I? I was going to say, well, that there are other people that believe that all perfectionism is bad. Um, and then, because good perfectionism is called something else. You know, there are a lot of a name for it. I found one, I think it's excellent. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it's excellentism or excellencism. I think it was excellentism, which is a term coined by Gaudreau. Um, and basically, he says, if it, you're striving to do well... It's because you're striving to be excellent. You're not. You're not. You're not striving to be perfect. So, you know, you're you're not actually a perfectionist. You're trying to have, you know, trying to have excellence. Um, trying to be excellent. But I found that at present, because I'm looking into using acceptance and commitment coaching for it, all the literature to well, I say all the literature. What bit of literature there is, um, is. It all talks about this maladaptive perfectionism. Okay. Mm. And so dancers then are particularly prone to developing this then? It, it would appear so, yes. There, there was a study done in, um, in um, Australia by a guy called Curtis, I think it was 2016, and he found that, oh, not, that musical theatre vocational students are, have higher incidences of perfectionism or maladaptive perfectionism than the general public and then within those dancers are more prone to it than either singers or uh, than singers or actors wow and is that so does that come from like learned behavior from their circumstances or is it something in the industry there's kind of i haven't actually to be fair i haven't actually got to the bottom of that one um because there's this conundrum it's kind of the chicken and egg thing are dancers drawn towards dance because they're perfectionists or do they become perfectionists because they dance you know and there are all kinds of theories about it as I say because you have this uh, the motivational climate quite often though you know is you're not you are asked to master things but at the end of the day if somebody can do a triple pirouette straight off they will be the one that probably gets the praise there's also mm. this whole thing of the it's you know social social socially prescribed perfectionism which comes down to the amount of um evaluation because yes we have everybody is evaluated and you can look at things like competitions you can look at things like exams because all dancers do exams or when I say all you know pretty much they all will do exams they'll do competitions but it's also that thing of when you're in the class there's a mirror the mirror's there for a reason and that is that you need to evaluate yourself your peers will be evaluating you your teacher will be evaluating you and it is this constant um, evaluation. It's it's interesting that when I've been looking into literature about it, that despite the fact that dance is an art, most dance psychology work is an offshoot of sports psychology, because the mindset is more similar. There is obviously the creative aspect, and that you can get that from from other areas, but a lot of it does come from sport. Wow. 
So where do you start then with somebody like that if they're walking into your studio? <laughs> I, the first, the first, it's really, really difficult, I think. Um, and I think just looking at it from my point of view, as if they, because I, I teach dance as well. And in the, the schools I teach, I teach both dance and singing. So I try and do the, the whole thing across both of them. Um, but as, as far as... Dan, uh, as far as singing goes, when I first have somebody who I know has danced a lot, the first thing I will ask them is, how do you feel about singing? And nine times out of ten, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And so we have a conversation about that. What is it that, what, what is it that they don't want to do? Is it scary? Do they not like it? And you generally get the same answers. I mean, not everybody does. I had one girl came in and I said, how do you feel about singing? She said, well, I quite like it, she said, but um, I can't see I'm ever going to make a career out of it. So I said, what she'd like to be? She said, either a dancer or an astrophysicist, I think it was. Um, wow. And then she sang. <laughs> and then she sang. And I was like, OK, because she had an amazing voice. And I was like, <laughs> I was like you, you sing really well. She's like, do I? But it's that whole thing again. So it's really trying to make them comfortable. Quite often in their first singing lesson, we don't ever do any singing. You know, their first vocal coaching session with me, we may not even sing. Or I will get them to sing something that they like. And I will allow them to sing it along with the person. And I, that, I do quite a lot of that with them. Um, even as we go through when they're learning a song, they take comfort in having a voice there that they can hide behind mm. until they feel a little bit more comfortable with it. And I think the thing, the other thing I do is I tend to, I do try and um, sort of compare things in dance to singing. This is how I first, you know, introduce warm-ups and things to them. And like I say, when they say to me, I can't do this, and I'll go to them, can, I'll say to them, can you do a triple pirouette? And yeah. Well, could you do a triple pirouette when you first dance? And they're like, no, of course I could, and I was five. And I'm like, well, why would you be able to do the vocal equivalent of a triple pirouette now when you've never done any singing? And I think sometimes it's just giving them that comfort that they're not, you know, they're not a failure because they can't sing like... I don't know who's a popular singer at the moment. I'm still in the 80s, so I can't even remember who's a popular singer at the moment. Um, I don't know, Pink. I know that she's kind of current, you know. Um, Harry Styles for the boys. I don't know. I have no idea. So it's about kind of lowering their expectations yes, somewhat and helping them to see is, the process. Yeah. yeah, so that they, yeah, so that they realise like anything else, they've got to take the steps. Um, and I do think that leading them towards, uh, you know, as I've been doing with the acceptance and commitment coaching, towards this values um, way of setting goals. And so with the values, instead of you having a goal and that being your ultimate thing, you basically have a value which could be um, to be more prepared. You know, that could be one or to improve my vocal technique or to improve my musicality, that's quite that's quite a, a good one. Uh, to improve my musicality and my acting through song, they'd be two separate ones. And then we work out, okay, so what can we do next to do that? Uh, but the nice thing is, so that would be their goal. So if you view the the value as the direction you're going in, that you never actually get there, and your goal are your little sightseeing stops along the way. I love that metaphor. So you know, we stop in at this place, and we might actually manage to do 
what that actual goal is, but we may not. But as long as it takes us somewhere towards our value, then that's fine. I mean, if they said to me, I want to improve my uh, my acting through song, and, and then this one day they said, okay, so today I want to make sure I do four gestures or something like that. I'm, I'm generally not that prescriptive with them, but you know, I want to do four gestures today, but they'd only done three. It will be like, okay, you didn't do your four, but you did three. Did we work to what, to what you've done? And they'd be like, yeah well then we're going in the right direction i think that tends to seems to have been working quite well um mm. but it is it's all about being realistic and then not i mean you, you know you get them and they'll come in and I, i'll say to you then okay i'll find us a song to sing and would you like to find a song to sing well i get two camps with this one i either get i don't listen to music which is always pain um, or I get, oh yes, I'd like to sing the end of Defying Gravity. <laughs> it's like, well, we might need to work up to that one. <laughs> Seriously, I had that about three weeks ago. So we might need to work up to that one, okay? So how about, you know, we can maybe start with the beginning of Defying Gravity if you really want to do it, but, you know, we're not going to be doing that anytime tomorrow. But I do, I do, I do tend to say to them, um, you know, we, you're wanting to do 32 fuetes on point, and, and you've had three vocal coaching sessions. <laughs> so, you know, if we take small steps. Do you I think, think that's great the, how those, you can uh, use that analogy to dance like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering, though, I was going to say there, do you think that there's a misunderstanding of the voice then that makes oh, them yes. have these beliefs that, yes, I you know, th- like it's a muscle that can be trained? I think that part of the problem is... They see things on telly, don't they? They see these reality shows and they see TikTok and they see this, that and the other. And we are always taught... Well, no, we're not. But to me, there seems to be this expectation that everybody can sing like that immediately. Hmm. And it's not the same in dance. People seem to be far more... think that dance is some amazing thing. And to me, it's no different. You know, it's you. It's still a skill that you've got to work at. You've got to take you. you you've got to oh, see if I can get this the right way around. I always get it the wrong way around. You have to learn to walk before you can run. Mm-hmm. But I think you know, there's this expectation. Oh well, so and so was on the Voice and they were amazing. Yeah, but you, you you don't know how long they've been doing it behind the scenes. And I think another th- problem I quite often come up against is people wanting to sing things that are just. They're not, they're not going to be ready for them, even if they were a great singer, because they're 10, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they want to sing some... I mean, my voice is... I, I would say my voice was probably at its best in my early 40s. We're in a downward trajectory now. Um, <laughs> but I still have a lot more control over it now than I had back then. I mean, when I was 16, I could, I could belt. That was what I did. That was my thing. I knew... and. And I knew how to do that and nothing else. Um, And they don't seem to understand that, you know, if you're wanting to sing something by, um, well, even if you go like Adina Menzel, I mean, you've got to think when she did, when she did Let It Go, she was in her 40s. So, and yes, I know there are people that can do it, but I don't expect my little 10 year old that's had three vocal coaching sessions is going to be able to sing Let It Go. No. So, and I'd, and I'd, 
rather i think another thing as well is that quite often for dance competitions when they do their song and dances or their vocals um they're given material which is made that i don't necessarily think is appropriate i might be a bit square there but you know i don't like a 12 year old singing something from heather's sorry that's not against you heather (laughs) Um, <laughs> you know? No, I wouldn't want a twelve-year-old singing something from Heather's either. No, um, and you know, when I I want to give them something more age-appropriate, and they're like, "But that's so babyish." I'm like, "Well, you're going to sing it." <laughs> and once you've made, once you've sorted that out, in a couple of years' time, then we can try something from Heather's. Do you know, I'm totally with you on that one. I, it's a big bugbear of mine having mm. children sing songs that they can't relate to, and yeah. are, mm. are far more. More adult than they are ready. Yeah, for. I mean, you know, I've I've been adjudicating competitions, and there's been a girl singing. Um, she used to be mine, and she's like eleven, and I'm like, how can you sing that? <laughs> no, I mean, realistically, I I mean, I tend to encourage musical theatre singers in general to sing the sort of songs that they would be cast to sing. Yeah. Yeah. And a 12-year-old would not be cast in an adult role. A 12-year-old be, no. would be cast as a 12-year-old, possibly a little bit younger if they can get away with it. Yeah, exactly. So they should really they be aiming to sing the songs that yeah. would be an 8-year-old in the show. Yeah. Mm. I mean, when I was 19, I should have probably been doing the 12-year-old songs because I only looked about 12, but... <laughs> you know, Brilliant. Was that was fine. getting your favour in that industry. <laughs> yeah, you do <laughs> So, so I've digressed again, haven't I? That's quite all right. We're good at that. I've got anything out yeah. when I've gone off on one of my rants. Um, so in terms of kind of like, so a lot of our listeners might be working with um, older adults that are also dancers. So, mm-hmm. for example, I often get on the run up to auditions for Panto yeah. season dancers coming through the doors expecting to have their panto audition song together in one lesson mm-hmm. you know like yeah. like you do, As you yeah. do. Uh, <laughs> because suddenly their agent has thrown it on them that this isn't just a dance audition they have to sing something as well mm-hmm. so if we if we've got a an adult dancer coming in for a lesson should we expect the same sort of attitude towards singing that you're describing in these adolescents or do you think that changes as they age <laughs> i don't think it changes i could be <laughs> there's going to be exceptions but knowing what my personal journey is i know that i'm still in fact i'm probably harder on myself than i was mm. back then and i think with people you've then got your they're kicking themselves because why didn't i think of this 10 years earlier mm. um and I think, again, it's a whole thing about making them comfortable. What I, te- what I tended to find when I was dealing in Italy with the kids that were about 17... No, they'd be, go- they'd be coming up for 19 because they leave school at 19, was that one of the easiest ways that I found to do it was actually to work on the whole acting through song, you know, the intention of the song, as much as anything else. Mm. Um, because sometimes if they can hear you've got a voice... Um, but there's nothing here, you know, it's, they're just going to go, okay. Whereas if they can see, if you've got a voice and they can see that you're, you understand the song and stuff like that, then you might stand more, more of a chance. But you see my, you see what I would say now is this is why when they're 
they're, when they're little, this is why they need to do their singing lessons, isn't it? And their vocal <laughs> coaching lessons. So that when they get to that point, Heather, then they've got a basis of what they're doing. And they, it, it needs to be seen as part of their ongoing training. That if you want to be doing, I mean, I'd, I'd even forgotten about pantomimes. You see, I did pantomimes when I was a kid. I had a great time doing pantomimes, but we mm-hmm. always had to sing. Um, you know, if you do review shows, if you work on cruise ships, you know, or if you know, there's so much that you need to be able to sing for as a dancer, and it does limit. So, but I would say the the main thing is they need to try and, and start feeling more comfortable with it. But once you're an adult, that's so much harder, isn't it? Oh yes. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> just sing for fun. You know, go in. You know, if they if they're not that comfortable to get themselves feeling more comfortable, why not join a choir or something? You know, to get mm. and maybe once they've done that, they might. I don't know. I don't. To be honest, I don't work that much with adults, so um, you would probably know better than me, Heather, with that one. <laughs> Well, I, I only say it because I do recognise some of what you're saying. Yeah. And I do see it. That 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 frustration in of themselves yeah. when they can't they can't be perfect at and, a very yeah. high level immediately. Immediately. And I think it's just a case of saying, look, you're not gonna be. You know, you've mm. been dancing for all these years. This is all the stuff that you've done. This is where we are with singing, just because you've never done it. That's like saying, Would you say, Oh, I can't ice skate you might we might you go oh, well i can't ice skate because i've never done it <laughs> you know i can't i i can't ice skate i, I can roller skate obviously <laughs> but um i can't ice skate because i think i'm on roller skates and almost do the splits but um i'm like you know you, you go to push off and go Ooh, off we go um but it is that thing isn't it you'd qualify it you'd say i can't ice skate i've never done it they don't say, I can't sing, I've never done it. I mean, everybody's sung when they're a, mm. a child. Well, most people have at school. But it is that actual learning it as a skill. Rather so, than... I mean, do you think that dance schools, as a general rule, should make all of their dancers partake in some kind of a singing like group class or something? I think anybody who even remotely thinks that they're going to want to do it for a you know, that they're going to want to go on to vocational college and do it. Yes, I do. If they're not, if they're just, you know, little Betty that comes in once a week and she does her ballet and her tap class and she's never going to want to do anything with it, no. Though in, in saying that, you know, I have my have my little musical theatre class and most of them, I would say, would not be interested in doing it. We have a fabulous time. You know, doing something a bit different. They can be expressive in a different way. But I do mm. think that anybody who has even the remotest thought that they might want to do it as a career or even just as... Because I know there are kids that go off to sixth form and that. Um, but, you know, yes, I would say if they have any any thoughts of wanting to do it, yes, you need to sing. And is there an ideal age for them to be making that decision? <sighs> well, the problem... Mm, probably not. I just really think that all kids should sing. <laughs> I really do, to be quite honest with you. You know, I have my, I have my little mini movies class on a Friday, and um, before I got there, they did ballet. They now do ballet and singing. You know, we do a bit of because it's nice to normalise them doing it. Mm. So, 
that's that for me. I, I feel quite passionately about this, as you can tell. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's strange that we have such preconceived ideas about singing, isn't it? But oh, like I know. Like you say about ice skating, it's just it's weird. And I wonder where that comes from in society. What it is that causes that? I do think there's just this this idea, isn't there, that sing that anybody, everybody can sing, and I know that everybody can sing, but. You're not going to be able to, or very few people will be able to sing to a professional level without some kind of training. Mm. And unfortunately, the reality is that once you go to one of these vocational schools, most of the schools that my students will go to, there isn't that much singing. You know, they might have 36 contact hours a week and maybe two of those are singing. And that's the reality. Um, They're still on the whole... I'm very, very dance-centric. So then we're asking them to come out again and be able to sing. I know off the top of my head, I know three people that have been to vocational school and now two of them have done loads of work in the West End. The other is um, a very respected vocal coach. And when they came out of college, they'd had very little training and they actually then went and paid for their own singing training but they wouldn't be doing what they did now. And they're all amazing singers. But because they were dancers, they weren't, they didn't really do it that much at college. So then this is something that is not just an issue for that kind of pre-18-year-old no. kind of dance school. No, this it's is an issue for your professional training dance schools yeah. as well. Yeah, it is. And I think as well, I think I do think you need to understand a dancer's psyche. I really do, because we're strange creatures. And like, I, and as I said, you know, yes, I'm more of a singer, but in my mind, I my mind is very, very firmly a dancer. Mm. And anybody, I, you know, I think oh no, I can't say anybody. I think you would find, and I'm saying this. This is my own anecdotal evidence, you know, from talking to my colleagues and the kids I I have taught. You you can sing as well. You could have played the the lead in 10 West End musicals as a singer. But in your mind, you're a dancer. There are very few, I think, that go through that, that start the way that I did. And you would say they've got a singer's mentality. Which is a far more balanced one than a dancer's, let me tell you. (laughs) From the people I know, anyway. That's so interesting because singers can have all sorts of weird things going on inside of their heads Mm -hmm. as well. (laughs) I mean, I may be overgeneralizing, I probably am overgeneralizing here, but, you know, they all seem a lot more balanced and more confident, daft as it sounds. Mm. A dancer will always beat themselves up. Our first thought is, I can't do it. I still do it now. And is, is there is there a solution to that? Is, can, I, can you ch- can honest, that change ever? It, or it's just I think it can be, but it does go right back to getting the right kind of environment. You know, bringing in more of this mastery oriented um, teaching mm. environment where you know perseverance and progress is is championed above talent. Don't get me wrong. I know that in the real world, people get stuff because they're talented. But I I love that old adage that um, 
what is it? Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work. And it is mm. absolutely true. You can be the most talented person on the, on the earth, but if you don't work to develop that, at some point, there's someone that's slogging their guts out behind you will probably come up and take your place. Because you can't, you know, you can only fake it for so long, unfortunately. Yeah. So... That's, that's great. That's a fabulous quote. I just I had to write that down. In a I was just going to say, Tom was it's totally writing that one down. Yes. <laughs> it's not my quote. I, um, I have a couple. That's one. And my other favourite is a comfort zone is a lovely place to be, but nothing ever grows there. And that's I've one seen, I yeah, use. That one. I use yeah, I like that, that one, one at the moment a heck of a lot with the dancers. You are mm. really comfortable there in your little dance world. Um, but if you want your singing to develop you're going to have to come out of your comfort zone unfortunately mm. or fortunately depending <laughs> on where you look at the dancer would think unfortunately but oh that's fab yeah well, it's a strange thanks. strange thing isn't it can i just say one thing actually i just suddenly remembered yeah. you know when i was saying about understanding the dancer's psyche i was mm. listening to a podcast where there was um she, she used to be a dancer with the Royal Ballet. She was uh, Jamie Tapper. And she trained, retrained as a psychotherapist. And she's done, and on this podcast, she was uh, talking about the work she'd done with the Canadian, I want to say the Royal Canadian Ballet School, but I could be wrong. I do apologise because I've probably got that wrong. Um, and she she had done acceptance and commitment therapy with them, which is the one which is led by a therapist. And she said that when she started doing this, she had to go off and research perfectionism because it was absolutely vital that she understood it because of the dancers she was working with. So, mm. you know, it is it the perfectionism thing is something that's that even for somebody who danced, she had to go and find that because she said how how important it was to understand where the dancers were coming from. So please, everybody, understand a dancer's psyche. <laughs> <laughs> it we're off to figure that out yes. now. <laughs> <laughs> oh fantastic well yeah. thank you so much helen for joining us today and sharing some really fascinating insights we're definitely going to go away and think very hard about how we approach it the next time we have a dancer come through our doors needing some help with their singing. If you could learn a few ballet terms, it might I was going to say, I'm going to go and swat <laughs> up on uh, all of those maybe they, French maybe terms maybe that I you said. Write a book, a eh? vocabulary that singing teachers and vocal coaches need for teaching dancers. <laughs> and my that analogies would be amazing. and metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely. Thank you. <laughs> So yes, as we promised, that was a very interesting conversation, and Wasn't we could it, probably yes. chat for like another hour and about stuff. It's hard it's... to keep it into like such a short space. I know. I know. And when we first started this podcast, we were all like, "Yeah, we'll try and keep the episodes for like half an hour." And now I'm like, "An hour's oh, fine," <laughs> <laughs> because when you once you get started with something, if you're anything like me, you get really nosy and you want to know more. <laughs> I know. You do, and then like you just you just don't know what tangent you're going to go off into. That's just it's really interesting so it's hard to kind of stop mid interesting thing because we're at time that's it um but yeah really really interesting conversation and and like i say you know i'm sure 
if you've ever taught somebody who is a dancer first and a singer second, you're bound to recognise some of those behaviours that Helen was talking about. Mm. Yeah, and like, I, I don't know about you, but like, I feel like we hear similar stories from like people coming in for lessons with our guests where it's like, oh, I've got an audition tomorrow or, oh, I'm doing this tomorrow like, and I need the song to be ready and it, like, it's their first singing lesson. Like that, that feels like more and more of a common theme that mm -hmm. I hear from more and more people nowadays. And like we asked, you know, the question, like, is, do people have this misconception about the voice and how the voice trains because they think that, you know, they just don't treat it the same as like learning to play tennis, learning to dance, learning to golf. Like, I, I don't understand why we, we don't. have that misconception. We have a very fixed mindset when it comes to singing, you know, there, mm. and it people do lack that growth mindset that is required to understand that this is a skill that can be built and developed and learned. Mm. We think you either have it or you don't and that you're born that way. And that's that. Um, Which is weird. Like, you know, I, I, I took piano lessons. I started piano lessons when I was 10. I didn't expect to be Chopin at the end of my first lesson. Like, no. you understand there's a learning curve and it takes time and you work through grades and exams and then you become a good piano player. But, like, in my brain at that age, I was like, oh, no, I can't sing. I wasn't born with it. So it's not for me. So I'm going to dance instead. And, like, mm -hmm. it's just weird that we just have this weird limitation that we seem to have like because you see you're you know she was talking about it and kids young kids that have this limitation it's like where does that come from like i know is it society holding them to strange standards is it what they're seeing on the internet you know is tiktok and youtube limiting their beliefs about and i wonder what how much is? it kind of filters through like if you're in a dance school atmosphere and you see the 16 year old dancers all going oh no we just dance we don't sing Mm. Do the ten-year-olds look at that and go, "Oh, oh yeah, no, I'm a dancer, so I I mustn't sing either." It's a uh, you know weird kind of is that just part of the the general belief system of that that dance school world? Um, yeah, because it is a strange world. I have like you have had students that have either been in it or were going into it, and like. It's it's strange hearing the stories of how things operate and how people think about certain things and how they work and just I, I as somebody that wasn't in that kind of world it was hard to understand like mm. well, why why did they think like that like why why do you need to do twelve hours of tap but you get like twenty minute singing lesson but now you've got to go and sing like a three hour show that you don't tap yeah, dancing it doesn't make like, any sense does it you're right no and it's but that's common that I mean at least in my experience of working with these students that's a common thread you get very little singing and are expected to work in it basically on your own yeah and realistically like we were saying you know employability relies on it you know mm -hmm. you can be the world's most amazing dancer but there's no guarantee that you will book the job that requires you just to dance so if you're able to show up an audition for the jobs that require you to do a bit of singing as well as dancing, you just double your opportunities, if not treble them, in terms of whether you can get work as a professional dancer. So I feel like it should just be like essential. It should, yeah. should be written into the rules. If you're going to dance, you should also learn to sing. I think as well, because so many casts these days that, you know, like there's spiraling costs and so many other different things that they have to do for productions. Mm. And so they don't have the luxury of being able to have just dancers and just singers. And like they need to cut the costs of casting by having multi talented 
you know, triple threats, as they Absolutely. call them. Absolutely. And so long as they're out there, they're going to book the job before the people who aren't the triple threat, aren't they? Yeah. So if you can't beat them, join them. Exactly. <laughs> and one thing that came up, because we were talk, we during that, there was we were talking about, like, you know, does social media and that contribute to it? And, like, you know, Helen was talking about how people see things and just think, oh, I need to be that good instantly. Mm. And it's the, that's something that kind of resonated because I had been watching, as you know, you get stuck in a YouTube loop and you start seeing all this random stuff. And as soon as you stop and watch something, then it starts to show you more of that thing. Mm -hmm. So I started watching this guy's videos of him singing. And like in his thing is he sits in the car and bangs on the center console to like percussive whatever okay. you want. Uh -huh. And like I was listening to him, I was like, oh, wow, this guy's got some chops on him. Good singer, good intonation, etc." And the more I listened to him, the more I was like, this starts to feel sound very produced like this has been put through some audio and then i was like oh and there's a bit of autotune there and then they started posting a video with like two other singers doing like duets and these harmonies and these harmonies were so beautifully tightly blended and i was like that's all post-production like that's not the live audio wow. from the video and i was like that's very smoke misleading. and mirrors Mm -hmm. But people watch that and they're like, oh my God, I'm never, I can never sing like that. I'm not a singer. Like, you know, and they just, they take that and that puts a limiting belief in their head because they think, oh, I should be able to sing like that naturally. You know? That's so interesting. I mean, and that is the equivalent of young girls looking at beauty magazines mm -hmm. and seeing pictures of these women who have been airbrushed into shapes that don't exist in mm -hmm. the real world and going, I'm terrible because I don't look like that. Yeah. Isn't it? And like, oh, you know, when you go, when you go down that rabbit hole, like you start to read, if you look at social media and stuff that's on it, like you start to, oh, that's a beauty video, but there's a filter on the video. And like, not just like influencers, mm -hmm. like big beauty companies do it. Yeah. And so I think if you're watching singing on the internet, you've got to take it with a big pinch of salt when you're watching these things, because so much stuff, I mean, even like, you know, TV shows, when they put stuff out, it's dubbed and it's tuned and you know mm -hmm. tweaked it's not and quite like, the full story yeah and i have seen a couple of videos where it's like somebody's got their phone in their pocket sneaking a recording of like somebody that's made it quite far and but they get taken down very quickly but it's nothing like what the actual official video sounds like it's very it it's just creates naughty. false standards doesn't it it's naughty for, isn't it but it but creates that false standard. You're that, right. It does. It makes you believe that's an achievable thing to do is just to, you know, just belt something out and be perfect first time. First Whereas time. we all know that perfection doesn't really exist. I mean, there is no, no there is no perfect. Like we can always pick holes in, in our, our own performances in particular. Oh, yeah. We're always our own worst critics. Mm -hmm. So we know that perfection doesn't really exist. And so aiming for that perfection... It's a really dangerous thing. I agree. And I like I always like to think and this always sticks in my head is like when like Beyonce. People just think Beyonce just, you know, was born and could sing like that. And I'm like, well, I've read and seen videos where she talks about the summer camps that her dad used to put on, you know, where they mm -hmm. used to work like twelve hours a day, like running on treadmills while singing and like that woman worked so hard to get to where she was and still works so hard. And, yeah. you know, she just doesn't, it just doesn't fall out her mouth. Like she's had to work her whole life to get to the level that she's at. And that, yeah. you know, but people don't see that. They just think, I know, oh, it's, it's a shame, isn't it? Because it, it almost undermines the amount of work that has gone into it when they say, 
Oh, she's just born that way. Like, no! We're goddamn hard to get to that point. Yeah. I mean, clearly she's born with some kind of genetics that gave her a little bit of an upper hand there, but it helps. It's hard but it's work. not everything. Exactly. And what, you know was what, the was the qu- what was the quote that Helen said? You wrote I've it got down, it on my you? post-it. I yeah. did, yeah. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work. Yeah, that's it. And it's so true. So, so true. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be the best of the best, but if you don't practice, somebody else that does will we'll, come along. We'll take over. Absolutely. Yeah. That's and it's right. like that, that quote, other thing that comes into my head, like, what is it? Practice makes perfect. And then in IVA, we try to talk about practice makes permanent. Mm-hmm. We try to move away from this idea that practice makes perfect because there is no perfect. Because there is no perfect. Uh, the sooner we acknowledge that, the better. Um, and that's why, actually, when Helen was talking about excellence rather than perfection, mm. it's it's a great you know way to think of it. Like you know, it's great to strive to be excellent at something, but don't strive to be perfect at it because that's an mm. unrealistic expectation for yourself. Yeah, I really love that twist of it. And even how she phrased it, like, you know, you set a goal and then you reach it. Oh, well, it clearly wasn't good enough or high mm-hmm. enough standard. And you beat yourself down. And the whole idea of this, like, maladaptive perfectionism, where she was saying, you know, we basically procrastinate. We put it off. You know, she mentioned something that she hadn't done because she'd been procrastinating it. Mm-hmm. And, like, I was sitting there thinking, that's so true. Like, I've done tasks in the past for, like, singing stuff, for, like, you know preparing a song for a lesson and i've put it off and put it off because i just in the back of my head like not good enough not good enough and then you do it and you're like oh is that it like have i been like you know crapping myself about that oh, for something that? that didn't need to be worried about you know yeah. but you just get stuck in your head and you just you tell yourself all these things that are not true yeah so there was i thought it was really interesting what she was talking about i really really enjoyed it yeah absolutely I'm going to go away um, and review my post-it notes of all the things I wrote. <laughs> all, the thing, all the little things you've written down, I love it. Yeah, do that, to do that, that's me, that's me. <laughs> so, um, I don't think we know who our next guest is yet, do we, Tom, for our next no, podcast? We don't. No, we don't. No, so, uh, you'll we're... have to stay tuned and be surprised yeah. by whoever turns up on <laughs> I know. It, it might be me yabbering on about gestures, or we might get someone more interesting. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> You're very interesting. <laughs> but how do people make sure that they don't miss whatever gems are coming up on the podcast, Tom? Yeah, so you got to make sure, you, wherever you're listening to this, that you click the subscribe or you click the follow button, whatever it says, so that you get notified when the episode comes out. If you're on social media, we post when our podcasts are being released. And we're also on YouTube as well, where we put the videos of these shenanigans uh-huh. As, you know, you can see us in, in the flesh. I know it <laughs> makes the experience all the more interesting. <laughs> I love it. Or not. <laughs> and if people want to find out more about uh, the Institute for Vocal Advancement, the teacher training opportunities, mm. and anything else that's going on, um, what's the best way to find out about that, Tom? Well, I think the best thing to do is get to our website, vocaladvancement.com, and there's various things on there, like we have a section of all the events that are coming up, all our webinars with our speakers. We have a section about all the training that we do. So, yeah, you can find that on our website, or if you prefer, you can get on our email list, and we send out notifications when new stuff comes up, our new events are announced as well. So, yeah, we have something for everyone for their preferred method of consuming information. We try and, <laughs> we're trying to be everywhere, everything 
all at once. <laughs> Love it. You'll never get rid of us because we're everywhere. Know, stuck. <laughs> stuck with us. <laughs> and on that uh, note <laughs> bye bye <laughs> we'll leave you to it because you've probably had enough of us by now <laughs> I know I just think of somebody sitting in their car driving along thinking okay like you must be done now <laughs> <laughs> we are I promise that's we it are, that's yeah. it we yeah, will so. we'll see you next time yeah take care